This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today, our topic is kind of a fun one. This show is called Worth It? Or not worth it. <laughs> and with me today, I have Amy McFarland. Good morning, Mary. And this is going to be fun because Amy's background is in interior design and in recruiting. And my so she's kind of on the artsy side of yes. things. My background, of course, is in finance. So I'm kind of on the more logical, sequential side of things. And um, there's this book that is called Worth It or Not Worth It by Jack Otter. And that's what inspired the show. Oh, wonderful. And we thought it would be really fun to take people who have two totally different perspectives <laughs> and talk about some things that might be worth it or not worth it when it comes to financial decisions yes. that you make. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't wait. So, all right. One of the questions that I get asked a lot is, is it is a credit union versus a bank better? What's oh, more? Oh, I've worth always it? wondered that. <laughs> yes, I figured yeah. it might have to do with interest rates, but I didn't know or free checking and you know. Well, it kind of depends on all of that. Yeah, you know. So, what's worth it or not worth it? Do you want a bank or a credit union relationship? One of the things is that um, credit unions can do just about everything that a bank does, and in most instances, will actually charge you less. Oh. <laughs> I like that. Yes. I like lesson fees. You know, so they probably charge lower fees on ATM withdrawals. They might charge lower fees on loan closing costs. They probably have little to no or less fees for overdraft fees. So that's one of the reasons that a credit union might be more worth it than a bank relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly, I'm not dissing any of the banks out there, but certainly there are some banking relationships that are going to be very important. And there are a few things that banks can do that credit unions can't do. Um, but again, the credit unions typically pay slightly higher rates on saving accounts and CDs and money markets. Oh. So there's there's advantages to doing it. Yeah. Now, you've heard with credit unions, you have to be a member. Yes. Right? Right. And what's interesting about that is people think that that might actually mean more than it does. <laughs> a lot of times you just have to, like, live in a neighborhood oh, <laughs> to be yeah. considered available to be a member. Oh, my gosh. Or something like that. Okay. But each credit union kind of has their own... Um, their own rules sure. for what you have to do to be eligible to be a member. Mm -hmm. And then as long as you can figure out what those are and qualify for them. Kind of like diocese. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of an interesting thing when it comes to thinking about what's worth it or what's not mm -hmm. worth it. All right. Let's talk about the next big one. Okay. Is it worth it to buy versus rent? Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Right now, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Let's explain what that comment meant. <laughs> we were laughing about this before the show because as a financial planner, my brain is very black and white. Mm -hmm. Money's money. Money decisions are a little bit easier for me because I spend all of my time working with money. Mm -hmm. And so it's either this or that. It's yes. either worth it or not. Right. And Amy, yes or no, Amy lives in a in world of many shades of gray. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're yes or no. I'm maybe, maybe, maybe. There you go. <laughs> yes. And yeah, everything's gray. So, I don't think 50 is enough shades, actually, yeah. Mary. <laughs> 150. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, okay. So buy versus rent. When you just think about that, Amy, what pops to mind for you? Like what would influence your decision to buy something versus rent something? Uh, well, partly my age and, of course, uh, what what kind of money do I have set aside? Am I able to do one or 
the other and um am i mature enough too to own a home there's there's a that component as well that i think especially a first-time home buyer um, they see a lot of the good the mm -hmm. happiness but they forget this also means it might snow the morning you didn't plan on shoveling <laughs> <laughs> the upkeep factor yeah yeah yes. the upkeep yeah so here's the thing is that, you know, your parents who told you renting was like throwing money out the window, you're yeah. probably, that, that has some truth to yes, it, right? Yes, Because you are spending money every month on something and you're not building any level of equity. So there are reasons to rent and the reasons to rent are to save some money, mm -hmm. to have some flexibility, right? It's much easier to kill a rental deal than it is to yes. sell a house or mm -hmm. to buy another house. Oh, yeah. And it's true. really a lot less hassle. Yeah. <laughs> Like you said, you might not have to scoop your own yeah. walker. If the pipes break, you don't have right. to be the one that worries about fixing them. But what the reasons to buy are is that it is actually a form of forced savings. Yes. Because al although it might cost you a little bit more, you're building equity in something. You own something. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is that wealth is built by ownership. Yes. And so... Your wealth being built by ownership in a house is often a starting point where people begin to actually build their wealth. Another reason to buy is that it gives you peace of mind, right? So you don't have to worry about a landlord kicking you out. Uh, you don't have to worry about change of ownership in the property and that having an effect on you. You don't have to worry about somebody raising your rent. You can do whatever you want to it, <laughs> good or bad. <laughs> this is true, too. Yeah. And so, you know, um, from a purely financial perspective, buying is a better deal than renting. Mm -hmm. But just keep in mind there are reasons or seasons in your life right. that renting might make more sense. Well, we joke about our friends that have second homes, vacation homes, and we decided it was cheaper to just go see them at their rental home yes, <laughs> or at their home they bought uh, or rent versus mm -hmm. having a second property. I completely agree with that. So mm -hmm. whether it's worth it or not worth it, mm -hmm. I think it's more worth it to not own a vacation property okay. than to own one. Okay. That being said, if the vacation property that you own is something you're going to turn around and lease out that other people can use... Mm -hmm. That changes everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so from a worth it or not worth it perspective on a vacation home, if it's just going to be yours that you use a few weeks out of the year and nobody else ever occupies it, in my opinion, financially speaking, that's not worth it. Mm -hmm. But if you can rent it out and create a stream of income from it or cover your expenses by other people's renting it, mm -hmm. then that can definitely mm -hmm. be more worth it. Or buy it with someone else, too. Share. Yep, you can do some sharing. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That opens up a whole nother yes, can of worms. Yes, it does. So. <laughs> All right. So worth it or not worth it? Do you sell your home using a realtor or not? Um, you know, I don't think there's... We went through this process somewhat recently. And um, I think selling a home by owner to begin with is okay. But you have to know that time is money. And when the time comes and you've got to get it sold, um, realtors are very connected. and Very much. Um, you know... They, uh, you know, if you're selling by owner, I understand why realtor says, well, I'm not going to take him to see that house. <laughs> you know, you just, you have to know what your marketing plan is. Yep. So here's my thoughts on this is that when it's selling a house, it pays to bring in an expert. Yes. So I am, I have a fundamental belief that if it's something that you're not an expert in, you should hire an expert to help you. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. That's you so know, true. If you're, if you're needing legal help, hire a lawyer. If you're needing financial help, hire me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. If you're needing, you know, to sell a house or you're needing to do a real estate deal, the real estate people have the expertise that I think make it worth having them in your corner. Now, does that mean it justifies everything that they're going to make? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And and I don't think you can actually necessarily go back and fully evaluate that. (laughs) But I do think that they add a level of expertise that without them, then you can try, you, you could run into some issues of just because you don't know what you And don't it's know. very time consuming. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Staying on the subject of houses, worth it or not worth it, fixed rate mortgage versus adjustable rate mortgage. Oh, that's really gray. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it is not gray at all. <laughs> Okay. That's so funny. Okay. So here's the thing is that right now we are in a rising interest rate world, which makes adjustable rate mortgages not attractive at all. (laughs) Spooky. (laughs) Very spooky. Why would somebody think they are attractive? Because you might get a better deal now than you can on a fixed rate. So it sounds like the immediate payoff is that you have a lower payment. Mm -hmm. But what people don't always realize in adjustable rate mortgages, adjustable means it can change. Yeah, that arm. Yes. (laughs) And it's like the long arm of the law. (laughs) It's going to reach out and grab you. But the deal is, it's not only going to change, it is probably going to change in a manner that's negative for you, meaning your payment is very likely to go up. You have to expect that. And then it is going to, to hurt later, right? So the only time I think that an arm or an adjustable rate mortgage makes sense is if you know for sure you're going to pay off that loan within a very short period of time. Oh, sure. Before it has a chance to sure. escalate. Sure. So that is the worth it or not worth it on that. Okay. All right, let's switch to the topic of cars. Okay. Do you buy new versus used? What's worth it? You know, I don't think I would ever buy a new car, and that's just me because of our budget, and I figure I'd rather find a gently used car Mm -hmm. uh, just because of that whole, the adage, my dad was in car sales for a number of years. The minute you drive it off the lot, it just went down 10000 in value, (laughs) you know. Yep. But that's just our price range. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a new car is so exciting, that new car (laughs) smell and the latest it is the very greatest. exciting. Yeah, yes. it's very exciting. And really, the new car plays to the ego more than the pocketbook. Yeah. That's the truth of it. So huh. um, one of the things that's, that's interesting is that $3,000 is the amount that a car depreciates per year before wear and tear. Okay. So let's say that, you know, you're this year, you're going to maybe be able to buy a last year's model. Mm-hmm. And then the car salesman says, I'll give you $2,000 off of that just because it's last year's <laughs> model. Yes. Well, let me tell you. You're getting a raw deal because it has already depreciated about three grand just because it's last year's model. Oh, so that's the average okay. amount that a car depreciates per year without it ever even having been driven off the lot, right? Right. So, in my opinion, a used car, gently used, maybe one or two years old, that either hasn't been driven much or um, has just a few miles on it, is the best financial deal for people to take. Okay. So, and, and the reason is a car loses a whole lot of value in the first two years that it's being driven. Yes. So smart money lets someone else pay for that depreciation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So um, new will make sense when you have maybe a uh, business need for that flashiness. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're somebody that um, maybe is going to be driving a huge amount of miles mm-hmm. and you're going to want to make sure that you have a high-performing car. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yep. So that's when new makes sense. But my money is on that slightly used is probably the best way to go for most cars. Yeah. More conservative. <laughs> All right. We're going to finish this half of the show with the last one, which is lease versus buy. <laughs> well, to me, that's pretty black and white. How many miles are you putting on a car? Yep. Number one. Absolutely. I could that never lease a car. Because <laughs> you drive too much. Yeah. Yep. And people don't realize that if you drive too much in a lease, at the end of that lease could be a nasty surprise <laughs> in the form of a big fat check you have to write when that's you go right. to sell that car or end your lease. Mm-hmm. So it does absolutely come down to whether or not it makes sense. And the buying a car is usually a better deal for you to do than leasing it. Okay? Yes. And the the thing where it might make sense to lease, though, because I always can talk about both sides of it, it might make sense to lease something, again, if it is a business. Because the way that taxes are paid on cars owned by businesses versus cars leased by businesses, there could be a stronger level of tax break by leasing a car versus buying a car if the business is the one that's paying for all of it. Sure. Okay, welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today, Amy and I are talking about worth it or not worth it when it comes to different things and this versus that. So um, we're going to kick off this next segment with something that's near and dear to my heart, financial advisor versus broker. That's really a great topic. Yes. (laughs) Do tell, Mary. All right. So here's the deal. A broker is a salesman. You know, and instead of selling cars or homes or whatever it is, they're selling stocks or bonds or mutual funds, investments, annuities, you know, you whatever. But you have to keep in mind that the broker is a salesperson. Their job is to sell you a financial product. Yes. It is not something where they're legally obligated to act in your best interest. Yes. <laughs> That's the fiduciary That's component. Right. That a broker mm-hmm. is not, generally speaking, a fiduciary, meaning they have to act in your best interest. And so you just have to remember that. If you're mm-hmm. engaging in a relationship with a broker, mm-hmm. then you Make know sure their you job know. is to sell you something. Mm-hmm. If you're engaging in a relationship with a financial advisor, that's someone that can look at your whole financial situation. If they're a planner, if the they're portfolio. charging a fee, mm-hmm. they're looking at everything. And um, people who are working on a fee basis are required to act as your fiduciary, which means they are legally obligated to act in your best interest. Mm -hmm. So you tell me what's worth it or not worth it. Do you want somebody who's selling you something or somebody who's legally obligated to act in your best interest? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) I think I know what I would rather have. (laughs) So worth it or not worth it, I think that that's kind of an easy one to think about. How about, I'll play the devil's advocate, the the, uh, component of a a broker understands how the stocks are working better or the funds are working, how they're performing better. You know, I've heard that argument before, and it's an interesting one, um, as that a broker, they used to be called stockbrokers, of course, and um, so that they would have maybe a better understanding of the mechanics of a particular stock. And I would argue that I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, You would have many financial planners that understand it better than brokers and and vice versa. There's going to be some brokers that understand it better than financial advisors do, but the bottom line is that the broker's job is to make sales. Yes. So even if they understand it, that doesn't mean that they're <laughs> they're doing that, what's best. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, worth it or not worth it? Order Mary's new book online or not? 
<laughs> oh, I love it. Just kidding. That's totally worth it. <laughs> so, of course, you can go out and order my new book. And, and I think it's being shipped already now from some of the places. So Ready to Pull the Retirement Trigger is a great spend. And you can look at Barnes & Nobles. You can look at Amazon, Books A Million. There's different, you know, whatever your favorite bookstore is, you can order it online through there. And very soon it will be in bookstores. Yeah. And you have information on the website about that, Mary? I do. You yes. can go right out to sterkfinancialservices.com. There is a tab that's called Learn. Oh, And okay. you can find information about the book, and then you can you can link to a good place to order it. Okay, great. So, okay. Worth it. In terms of, um, you know, when it comes to investments, worth it or not worth it, do you do it now versus later? Okay. Okay. So um, we had a um, person attend a seminar recently that said they were having some trouble getting their spouse interested in doing the planning. Yes. They're interested in doing it now. Their spouse is more interested in not doing it at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or definitely at least later. Yes. So now versus later, Amy, what are your thoughts on that? Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yesterday, actually, Mary. <laughs> the earlier that you do planning, yeah. the better. Yeah. Right? So the more that you can get on the same page with your spouse – um, get them engaged and at least understanding here's where we are. And if we don't change anything, this is what it's going to look like. At least starting there is an important place to start. Yes. And sometimes um, I know in our situation, neither both of us had the fear, but not, we didn't talk about it. We did right. not communicate to each other because oftentimes that conversation is really just about saying, here are my fears. This is what I'd like to do about it. What do you think? Right. And, mm -hmm. and we find that in the first time that we meet with somebody, spouses are talking about issues they've never raised with each other. So yes. it's a very powerful first meeting because you learn something about yourself. You learn something about your spouse. And then you start to learn something about your own financial future. Right. So now versus later, my money's on now, yeah. too. And like I said yesterday. <laughs> All right. 529 plans versus UGMA accounts. I don't know what an UGMA account is. <laughs> a lot of people don't. UGMA, U-G-M-A, stands for Uniform Uniform Gift to Minors Account. Oh. Kind okay. of a mouthful, right? So 529 plan versus UGMAs. Oh, right. What gotcha. that means is college-specific savings for your kids versus savings for your kids. Okay. Okay. The 529 plans are specifically geared to give you tax breaks for college for your kids. Okay. You can go to any college in any state and use any 529 plans, but every 529 plan is kind of tagged to a state. Okay. So there's about 50 of them out there because we have 50 states. I think most states have one. Some even have more than one. So shopping around for a good 529 is important if you want to save specifically for college. And it's worth it to use a 529 plan if college is the goal. Okay. And the reason for that is because there's tax breaks both at the state and federal level okay. now and later. Okay. If you are not sure if your child's going to go to college, then the UGMA comes into play. Okay. So the UGMA is money that you save. It's in your child's name. The tax benefit of that is it's taxed at your child's tax level, which probably oh. is nothing uh -huh. or very little. And the UGMA, though, has this powerful disincentive to use it. And the UGMA, technically speaking, goes to your child's ownership when they are the age of majority. Okay. So in some states, that's 18. So the technicality of an UGMA is when they hit the age of majority, that kid can do what they want to with that money. Oh. 
if they know it exists. <laughs> wow. Gotcha. 529 plan, you get to control it. Ugma, they control when they hit the age of majority. Is that why it starts with the word Ugh? <laughs> So that's UGH, right? Good point, Amy. Good point. Oh, dear. All right. Worth it or not worth it? Cash back credit card versus travel reward card? Well, I don't know, but I, I do know cash back credit cards are insane interest charges, right? They all are. It doesn't okay. matter. Okay. <laughs> The credit card business is incredibly profitable. Wow. <laughs> and it's because people are not always smart they didn't with have their, their money card. for a rainy day. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean like the the billions of dollars that the credit card companies earn are are mind-boggling. So, um I think I read somewhere that credit cards keep more than 40 cents on every dollar of revenue that comes in. They're just, they're really, really profitable companies run right. So, um, that is quite a respectable profit margin. It is, as a matter of fact. That's a nice way of saying it. (laughs) All right. So, here's the deal my money is on the cash back credit cards rather than the travel reward cards. And that's because the cash back you can use for anything and the travel has so many more restrictions on it. Okay. Um, that being said, Barnes & Noble is my favorite store in the whole world. <laughs> so I do have one credit card that sends me gift cards for Barnes & Noble, which are basically the same thing as cash in a store I'm going to spend money on anyway. Sure. But if you are somebody that, you know, is trying to push for miles or if you're somebody that's trying to create a lot of uh, rewards, do some comparison though with that because often the cash back cards will net you a bigger profit that you can use to buy travel things with oh, rather than wow. trying to build up miles or travel rewards. Okay. And then you don't have to deal with any of the weird blackout dates or anything like that. Okay. All right. Connecting again to travel. Worth it or not worth it? Do you buy the travel insurance or do you save the cash? I that is extremely gray, and I've had situations in our own uh, personal use where it depends on who is the traveler, mm-hmm. where is it to, and how early are we booking this ahead of the trip? Those kinds of things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the likelihood that we we the person flying may have to change their plans? Yep. So here's my thoughts on this. So first of all, travel insurance reimburses you if a trip is canceled or delayed. And will cover damages if you lose property or if you have to have emergency medical treatment. Now, not all travel policies mm-hmm. do all of those things. But in my opinion, generally speaking, most of the time it's better to save the cash. Okay. And the times where I would consider buying travel insurance are three things. Okay. Number one, if I'm traveling somewhere where the weather could be an issue. Okay. So oh. if I'm heading somewhere down south and it's anywhere near hurricane season... Oh, sure. That would be a reason to buy travel insurance. Uh-huh. Number two, if I'm going with somebody who might be considered a little flaky. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my travel companions are going to back out at a weird last minute. I don't want to get stuck with that. So that would be another reason that I might buy the travel insurance. And number three, if it's an international mm-hmm. trip, a lot of times people's health insurance does not extend outside of the United States. So you can get an extension on your health insurance through some of those travel programs. Oh. So that's the other thing. If it's an international trip, you need to look and understand what your own health insurance covers and 
what it doesn't. Do you remember way back when, when you'd go to the airport and they'd have these freestanding, like they kind of look like an ATM machine and you could buy travel insurance before yeah. it used to be just a given. There was always yeah. the decision. And now it's like know? check a box on Expedia. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so my money's on save the cash unless there's some specific ex- exceptions to that, that, you know, you can gauge yourself. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this has been kind of fun to listen to. I think going through these things is, um, typical topics that people wonder about but don't always have answers to or can't Mm -hmm. really pinpoint reasons to justify their answers right so worth it or not worth it money guide with mary stirk is always worth listening to and we thank you for being here and being a great listener the views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.